God created mankind in his own image. He created them male and female in the image of God. Like a set of new glasses that helps us see the world with greater clarity. Seeing people through God's eyes changes how we respond to them. From the formation of a child's first tiny cell to life's final breath, all life has dignity and value. Because each and every one of us is made in the image of God. And that is why when we talk about being pro-life, it's not just about a political issue. It's a worldview. It's a life view. It's a way of looking at each human life that transcends culture, class, race, age, and opinion, knowing that we are all uniquely created in the image of God. The sanctity of human life is deeply rooted in scripture and modeled through the life of Jesus Christ who said, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When we begin to see others as God sees them, we're moved to care more deeply about those created in His image. And we will live each day in a way that honors our Creator. We won't see the scriptures as mere words, but as commands to express His heart through our actions. Commands like speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And ensure justice for those being crushed. Or love your neighbor as yourself. The sanctity of human life speaks to ancient questions that span all of time and every culture. Questions like, who is God? Who am I? Who is my neighbor? Jesus responded to those questions with the story of the Good Samaritan, who saw another man who was broken and bleeding. And instead of looking the other way as others had, he stopped. And cared for that man, even at great cost to himself. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Don't be silent in the face of injustice, but be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. Let us shine a light on practices that distort human dignity. Like human trafficking and the cycle of poverty that limits God-given potential and dreams. Make sacrifices to meet the needs of those dying preventable deaths because they lack food, medicine, and clean water. Embrace those with special needs as a special reflection of the image of our Creator God. Let us see people as God sees them. Seeing their needs and having mercy on them because every person is made in the image of God. So reach out to orphans in distant lands or the foster child in our own backyard who is waiting, hoping, and praying for a family to call their own. May we not pass judgment on the woman facing an unexpected pregnancy. But surround her with support, helping her to see the child growing within her as a unique person with a life as valuable as her own. Let us care for the widow in distress and loneliness. And let us befriend those in prison. Let us rejoice in the image of God as expressed through various skin colors and ethnic traditions. Refusing to tolerate racist attitudes that mock the one that created us. Let us choose to see those who disagree with us as God sees them, treating them with respect and dignity while helping them to open their eyes to see the beauty and value of life. That is what it means to be pro-life. This is why we need to be a voice.
Don't you love that little girl, man? Isn't that awesome? Come on, man. You know, I love that media piece because it reminds me of what it looks like when a person's worldview is so deeply rooted in the heart of God that you eventually begin to see others the way God sees them. And listen, it's way more than that. At some point, man, if your faith is rooted right, you start treating others as God would treat them, serving others as God would serve them. And listen, that's why on all of our campuses this week, we have representatives of many of our local outreach partners to help us serve our communities and serve the people in our community who need us the most. Uh, man, there's a ministry called Excel. It's a mentoring ministry. Our friends there help connect men and women from our church with students in our community who are just so blessed to have a godly man or woman, you know, loving them and pouring wisdom into their life, you know, helping them with woodworking projects and auto repair projects and sports projects, while at the same time they're building relationships and they're building skills that will serve them and honestly leading them to Jesus. Uh, man, I'm so thankful for our friends at Thrive uh, who have been counseling women with unplanned pregnancies to make a decision about those unborn babies that will honor God and be a story of sacrificial love that they will tell 20 years from now instead of being stifled by shame. And friends, I, I think about our friends at Performance Initiatives who are providing inner city, inner city students with an opportunity to pursue weightlifting and academic excellence that's opening the door for many of them to meet Jesus and to finish high school and, and earn sco college scholarships, and many of them will become the first people in their families to ever earn a college degree. We also have friends uh, at the PAC ministry that we started here at our church. They have a new warehouse where hundreds of compassionate Christians, and of course now, you know, other people from other churches all over the community pack bags of food for students who are suffering from food insecurity right here in our community. And many of our campuses that are a little bit farther out are working with backpack buddies who are doing the same thing in Bullock County and down in Liberty County. Uh, like so many families in our church, man, I'm thanking God for the fostering compassion movement in our church, which in a way we hope will soon find every foster child in our region part of a compassionate Christian family. And let me tell you, it's already happening. And like I said, uh, we have representatives from all of these local partnerships on all of our campuses this week just to remind us of the difference we can make in the name of Jesus, man, when we follow his example. You know, a few years ago, I remember standing in Zimbabwe uh, and I was looking at this dry, dead piece of land uh, with my buddy Denford Chizanga. Now, this is Denford and his wife, Shingi. And man, that brother really married way over his head, didn't he? Can I hear amen? Of course, that's what all the smart men do. Can I hear Amen. Guys, you should have said amen a little bit louder than that, man. I'm telling you, you lost it. But anyway, uh, Denver's our partner in Zimbabwe, and he told us about a dream he had of purchasing that old dry, dead piece of property and turning it into a community garden where his people could then grow food to feed themselves and then grow more to sell some so they could earn their way and pay their way. And man, when we heard this dream of, you know, a building in this community, we thought, man, we'd love to help with that. And so we bought that property. We helped them drill wells on that property. And today, let me tell you, that is a micro enterprise garden where food and dignity are both growing strong and God is blessing and praise the Lord. Can I hear amen? Yes, 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 yes. Now, friends, these local partnerships and our international partnerships are thriving even in these COVIDian days because so many people in our church have rooted their hearts deep in the example of Jesus. 
And I want to show you what I'm talking about in John chapter 13. So open your Bible to John chapter 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the fourth book in the New Testament. Friends, we're going to look at an example that Jesus set for us on the night before he died. Man, he gathered his 12 disciples together for dinner, and it was customary back in the day to wash the feet of every guest before dinner was served. And so the people gathering uh, for dinner, generally it was the youngest or it was the person with the least influence that drew that job. And because it was considered such a demeaning job, very often the host would just pay somebody to come in and do it. But at the Last Supper, Jesus was the host, and he had not hired anybody to wash feet, and all the guests there knew it. And so the 12 disciples were all waiting for somebody else to step up and take care of this job. One of them was saying, well, the youngest guy should be doing it. And others thought, well, the last disciple chosen should be doing it. And then the last guy who got here for dinner should be doing it. And while all this is going on, Jesus did something that nobody expected to see. Man, he took a pitcher of water and poured it into a basin. And he put the towel over his arm. And he got up with that basin and he started to wash the feet of those 12 disciples. And when he started moving toward their feet, everybody was like, no, 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 no. Lord, you can't do this. Lord, you shouldn't do this. You're the leader, man. You're our teacher. You're the rabbi. You're the Lord. And he said, guys, sit down. Sit down, men. The opportunity for you to serve has passed. Against all of their wishes, he went from God to God to God and washed every one of their feet. And when he finished, he said something that made it crystal clear what it looks like when your faith is deeply rooted in the example of Jesus. Jesus said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that is exactly who I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should watch each other's feet. Now, here it comes. Buckle up, everybody. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Let's say this all together, big voice. Read it with me, y'all. Come on. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, friends, some people think Jesus is saying that we should literally wash each other's feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I have. Uh, I went to India one time with a couple of folks from our church where our partners were being violently persecuted in the Orissa region of India. And man, we met with some of these heroic church leaders from that area. Uh, we heard horrible stories of brutal, violent persecution against the church there simply because, you know, they were followers of Jesus uh, under a pro-Hindu government. And then as an act of support, after we heard all these heartbreaking stories, we set those leaders down and we prayed for them and we washed their feet. And I'm telling you, they wept as we prayed for them and washed their feet. I mean, it was just a it was a humbling thing for them, but it was a powerful way for us to say, we see you, we love you at compassion, we're here for you, we are praying for you. It's a beautiful thing. Now, as beautiful as it was, I do not believe that Jesus is literally trying to make foot washing normative here, like communion or something like that. But he is making it crystal clear that because he served his disciples, he expects his disciples to serve each other. And so he goes on in John 13, 16, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, here it comes, y'all, you will be blessed. Everybody say blessed. blessed. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now let me just stop for a second, take a survey. Let me see the hands of everybody here who wants to be blessed by God. Everybody who wants to be, okay, hold them up. Let me count. One, two, three, four. That's 
100%. Do you know what Jesus says will unleash his blessing in your life? When you serve. When you serve. Friends, apparently following Jesus means serving like Jesus. And listen, everybody at that dinner's head was about to explode because Jesus willingly did a job that they all thought was below him. And yet he said, I did this as an example for you. And so, friend, if you want to follow Jesus, that means serving like Jesus. I'm not talking about watching other people serve from a distance. I'm not talking about dropping some money in the offering or, you know, giving online you know, to fund other people who are serving, as important as that is. Friends, following Jesus means serving like Jesus. Can I hear amen? All right, well, let's hear more than that. Say it with me, y'all. Come on. Following Jesus means serving like Jesus. Now, I think this story is in the New Testament because John wanted us to know there's a difference between knowing you're supposed to serve and actually serving. I love the story about two businessmen from America who are walking down the street in Delhi, and they just happened to walk by a missionary nurse who was bathing the infected foot of a leper. And it was gross, and it was awful, and she was doing it in the name of Jesus. And one of those American businessmen looked at the other when he saw that, and he said, bro, I wouldn't do that for a million bucks. And the nurse said, neither would I. She didn't go to India for a million bucks. She went there to serve her Lord Jesus. That's the only way she went. Jesus set an example, and she followed it. And let me just say this to you. You don't have to go to another country to serve, but let me, let me just say this. Jesus said that serving, like he did, would be normal, everybody say normal, for anybody who follows him. Now, in Romans chapter 12, Paul is going to break this down for us. So turning your Bible with me to Romans chapter 12, this is two books to the right. This is a classic passage. Cliff, uh, you know, quoted it during communion a few minutes ago. I was afraid you were going to preach my sermon for me, bro. You were close. But I can do a lot better than that. So anyway, relax, relax. Okay, here, here it comes, man. Get your notebook out. Here we go, all right? In Romans chapter 12, Paul is going to help us process, you know, how God roots this commitment to serve deep in our hearts. And the very first step to serving Jesus is to dedicate your body to Christ. Say it with me, everybody. Dedicate your body to Christ. Look at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is what spiritual worship looks like. Now remember, friends, following Jesus means serving like Jesus and so Paul says the first step is not dedicating your soul or your time or your money, and you will, and all of that will follow, but the first step is to dedicate your body. The, the first step is to say to the one who saved you, Lord, these hands are now your hands, and I'm going to use them to serve you just like Jesus did. These feet, Lord, are your feet. I will use them to take me anywhere you want me to go and serve. This mouth is your mouth. I will use my words to serve you, Lord, just like Jesus did 24-7. Friends, this is super practical. Paul is saying if you want to experience the deep blessing of God in your life, the first step is to surrender your most precious asset. Dedicate your body to Jesus. And of course, after that, it ain't about you anymore because you've already given you to him. Next step, eliminate competing distractions. Look at verse two. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Dude, the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of every believer trying to change the way we think. Now, our culture thinks constantly about consuming and entitlement. And our culture will try to get you to think all the time about consuming and entitlement. Consequently, some people become so self-centered that they would never naturally think to serve. And I get that. Listen, it's always been that way. In John 13, not a single one of those disciples stepped up to serve. They were, always, they were all waiting on somebody else to do it. And man, when Jesus grabbed that towel and that basin, he set them an example that he believed would transform the way they think. Now, to be honest with you, I think one of the biggest distractions for some of us is a fear of inadequacy. Something in you, something in your past makes you think God wouldn't want you to serve. You're not good enough to serve. You've broke it too bad to serve. And friends, can I just tell you, that is not true. Friend, if you have committed adultery, Jesus can still serve you, uh, use you. I mean, King David committed adultery and he asked God to forgive him and God did. And then God used him to write most of the book of Psalms, which we're reading through a chapter a day all through 2021. Maybe you've been guilty of lying and deceiving. Well, friends, thank the Lord, with God, failure is never final. He can still use you. I mean, Abraham and Isaac both lied every time they got under pressure, but they found forgiveness from God, and then God used them to launch the birth of the Jewish nation. You might be thinking, Cam, dude, you don't know. I, man, I was a prostitute. Cam, you don't know. When I was in college, I was blatantly, blatantly sexually impure and immoral. That doesn't mean God can't use you. I mean, in the Old Testament, Rahab was a prostitute. And she sought forgiveness from God and God forgave her and then worked through her to protect the Jewish nation from terrorist attacks, made her part of the family line of Jesus. Maybe you've got an out of control temper that's made a fool out of you over and over your whole stinking life. Friends, God can still use you. I mean, there were two men named James and John that were so rowdy that they called them the sons of thunder and Jesus recruited them into the 12 disciples. Maybe you're divorced today and you're, maybe you're living with somebody today that you're not married to and you know it's wrong. You know it's adultery. My friend, if you repent, God can still use you. Listen, he used a woman at the well in Samaria to start a revival that reached their whole city for Christ. And listen, the, the writer of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he was involved with persecuting and abusing Christ followers and he found forgiveness and God restored him and used him in a way that is still blessing us to this day. You know, I think Jesus would tell some of us here today, if you will start seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be given to you as well. So I wanna encourage you to put your fears aside by faith, start putting Jesus first, and man, you will be amazed what he will do through you and how he will bless you. So dedicate your body and eliminate the distractions. And then thirdly, Paul encourages us to carefully evaluate your strengths. Look at verse three. Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Now friends, I think this is one of the most practical verses in the Bible. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't ever think too lowly of yourself. Paul is saying, man, be realistic. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Man, what has God gifted you to do? What are you not gifted to do? 
Man, this passage teaches us that the most effective servants of Jesus understand and specialize in their strengths. I mean, maybe right now you'd be able to say, you know, I'm not a great teacher, but I'm really good with my hands. Awesome, man. Let's get you on a computer. Let's give you a hammer. Let's give you some food to serve. You might be thinking, Cam, I love people and I'm great at making people feel welcome, but don't ask me to lead anything. I'm not organized like that. Awesome. We have places where you can serve. Man, I love to teach adults, but kids scare me to death. Okay, let's keep you away from our kids, all right? And we'll put you in a service area where you'll be, where you'll be effective. Man, what Paul is saying is make a sober evaluation of how God has made you strong and then invest your time and energy in those strengths. Now, number four, I think he encourages us to engage. Engage. You know what? All of this so far is cerebral. Now it's time for the rubber to hit the road. Engage with other believers. Friends, your faith is personal, but it is not private. Not when it's working right, it's not. You know, Paul said in verse four, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, Paul is using the human body as an analogy for the church. And he says, you know, the church is one body that's made up of many, many, many diverse and, but equally valuable members. And because we believe this is true, there are four values that have shaped our church and shape how the New Testament church does ministry. We believe, first of all, that every believer is a minister. Say it with me, everybody. Let's get rowdy now. Come on. Every believer is a minister. Every single one. You know what one of our war cries is? Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play, man. That's why I don't wear a special robe when I preach. And I don't wear a special collar to set me apart from everybody else. This is why I don't expect you to call me reverend. Listen, just call me Cam or your majesty or something like that, and we'll be, we'll be good. <laughs> we'll be good go. But you know, in the New Testament, we do not see this hierarchy with the priest up here and then the spiritual little people down here. That's absent from the New Testament. In the New Testament church, we see every single member of the church has a role in ministry. Now, you know, every now and then somebody will ask me, Cam, how many ministers y'all got at Compassion now? And I'll think, okay, we've got 5,000 online, 5,000 coming to church, 10,000. And they're like, what? And I mean, I know what they want to know. They want to know how many pastors do you have? And that's about 42. But I just think it's important to remind people that we believe, Jesus believes, the New Testament teaches that every member of the church is in the ministry. Now, not every member is a pastor, but this passage teaches that if you're following Jesus, you are in the ministry. Can I hear amen? amen? Now, you're here to serve just like Jesus did. Consequently, if you are in play, it makes the church of Jesus stronger. Here's another thing we believe. Every minister has a different function. Say it with me, y'all. Every minister has a different function. Now, friends, not all of us are ever going to do the same stuff. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about this same thing, the hand does not do what the foot does. The foot does not do what the eye does. And on and on and on he goes. Friends, we believe that God has uniquely shaped you for ministry on purpose. And you need to find a way to serve that fits you. Because, listen, it, Every ministry function is important. Say it with me, y'all. Every ministry function is important. 1 Corinthians 12 says, the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the eye, I don't need you. 
That's, that's ridiculous. Because in the body, the body is interdependent, right? And let me tell you, the church is the same way. We are interdependent. We need each other. Man, even though some ministry functions are really obvious and some are much less so, which one's the most important? Is the guy who preaches every week or is it somebody back behind the scenes who's serving in the name of Jesus? Which one? Listen, I have a hand that is very, very obvious. I have a liver that nobody on earth has ever seen. Which one is most important in my life right now? Which one? Think about it. Listen, I'm telling you, we have a team of men and women who sanitize every seat in every worship center before every service and have since the day we regathered. And you know what? Very few of them, have, you, very few of you have ever seen them serve. They don't get any applause. But you know what? They do an invaluable service to our church. Man, they make it possible and safe for us to come back here and worship. And you know what's interesting is that everybody who serves on that team feels blessed when they serve, just like Jesus promised, but just so they know we love them. Let's give, a little, let's give the Lord some uh, thanks for these guys and gals that make the church safe for us, man. It's awesome. Awesome. And all of you guys wearing masks, you do the same thing, so praise the Lord, all right? But now let me just say this too. If you want the blessing that comes from serving that Jesus promised to be blessed, every believer must participate. Say it now, come on. To be blessed, every believer must participate. Now friends, we all need each other to accomplish the good that Jesus has called us to do in this crazy world, in these crazy times. And I'm telling you, I'm so thankful. I'm, pr I'm proud of you guys. I'm so thankful that on any given week, we have about 50% of our pre-COVID attendance back on campus. That number is growing. We're having to do overflow spaces in some services. It's awesome. Unfortunately, though, we only have about 25% of our pre-COVID volunteers serving. And you know what that means? That's tough. There's a little group of folks who are working really hard trying to carry the burden for all the rest of us. And listen, I understand. You know, some of us are slow to return because of health issues. You're watching online right now. Praise the Lord. I get that. But listen, Paul talks about this in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12. If one part of the body is offline, dude, the rest of the body has to compensate. You know, I have a good friend who broke his hand last week and his hand's in a cast. And we were in a meeting today and he was trying to, he was trying to make something happen on my iPad and he was like, this hand, you know, this big old cast. And I'm like, dude, don't break my thing, man. Come on, you know. And then he's trying to do it left-handed and it was just pitiful. It was just pitiful. I just had to step in and help him out. You know what I'm saying? He said, Cam, do you know how hard it is to work a computer mouse with a cast on? It's like Frankenstein, you know, or trying to type, you know, like this, or trying to zip your pants. I said, like, I don't want to hear about you zipping your pants up, man. Stop. That is just way too much information, all right? But you know what? When that hand quit working, when that hand quit serving, it affected a lot. And the same is true in the church. Man, we need every part doing its part. And if you do, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you won't. Now, let me just say, occasionally, I have people come to me and complain because there's something about the church they don't like. They're unhappy with something about the church. They don't feel blessed. And we just talk for a little bit, and then I'll finally ask them, okay, tell me about your discipleship group. Well, I'm, I'm not in a discipleship group. All right, well, tell me what team you're serving on. Well, I'm not serving anymore. Okay, so you're basically sitting and watching, and you're surprised that you don't feel blessed? Really? I mean, Jesus didn't say you'd be blessed if you study his example. 
He said you'll be blessed if you follow his example. Amen? Now, now, let me tell you why he said that. Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, you know, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit gifts all of us. And there are different kinds of service, but we all have the same Lord that we're supposed to obey. And there are different kinds of working, but man, God is at work in all of them and all men. And what Paul's saying here is, look, when you get saved, you receive a gift from the Holy Spirit. And it's a special capacity that makes you really good at something really important that you will really like to do. But that gift only brings blessing when you use it in serving Jesus. But boy, when you use that gift in service, God works through you. And God works in the world through you. People's prayers get answered through you. I mean, imagine you have a sister who's a single mom. Or maybe she's married to a soldier and he's deployed and man, she's alone in a strange town and really struggling. And so you start inviting her to go to Compassion. Man, you need to go to Compassion Christian Church. You're praying that she will go there and meet Jesus and have a, a life-changing relationship with him because you know, dude, that'll change everything, right? Now friends, when you start praying like that, you may not think about it, but you're praying that when your sister comes here to worship with us, you are also praying that she will meet people who are following the example of Jesus. You're praying that when she drives into the parking lot, that she'll meet friendly people who have a gift for service and they love directing traffic and dodging terrible drivers and holding umbrellas and you know, helping her get her kids into the church building. And then when she approaches the door, you know, she's, you're praying that some gracious person will make her feel welcome because the building's so big, it's a little intimidating. You want her to feel welcome. And, and then they'll direct her to the welcome desk, you know, where somebody will show her where the kids go and how to get them there and how to get them all checked in. And then she'll meet somebody from Compassion Kids who will love her children and make her feel at ease about leaving them back in our children's ministry. And if she has a special needs child, man, somebody's going to be back there with our special needs ministry, loving her child and showing them some special care so that this mom can catch her breath for a minute. And you're also praying that when she gets to the worship center, she'll meet some friendly section host who will help her find a seat, even though half the seats are roped off. And friends, you'll be so grateful for the Compassion Christians who come on Wednesday night. Can I hear amen? Yes, when they're real Christians come to church, all right? And you'll be so thankful the people that used to go to church at 11 now come at 9 o'clock so that we can open up seats at the 11 o'clock service because your sister doesn't know anything about church. She thinks the only time they have church is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And man, if everybody was still going at that hour, there'd be no place for her to sit. And then you're praying that your sister would be blessed by volunteers who are using their gifts to play instruments and lead her in songs that will lift her spirit and turn her toward the Lord and communicate the peace and the joy of God to her heart. And she won't even know it, man, but there'll be a team of gifted servants serving in a sound booth somewhere, making sure the words of those songs are up on the screen so she can sing along, or they'll be running a camera so she can see, or they'll be in a dark room broadcasting that message so that she can see it at one of our regional campuses. And you'll be praying, man, that she'll see somebody just like her humble themselves and be baptized into Christ because some team of volunteers is back in the back helping that lady, making sure all that stuff happens. And other volunteers in masks and gloves will have set up the Lord's Supper on tables so that she won't have anything to fear from COVID and she can pick up that communion and bring it in and be reminded that God loves her so much that if it was just her, Jesus would have died for her. And then the whole time she's in worship, her children will be worshiping as well. And they'll be talking about the Lord in small groups. And they'll be learning about Jesus in age-appropriate ways and playing games that they'll love. And when she picks her kids up, she'll say, did you have a good time? They'll go, wow, it was awesome. And they'll talk about it all the way home and beg her to bring us back next week. And if she's moved to become a follower of Jesus, man, she'll find a member of our volunteer prayer team down front 
or at Connecting Point, you know, to help her give her life to Christ. And if she's struggling with scarcity, your sister could find her way to the lighthouse, you know, where Compassion Christian volunteers will serve her at the point of her need with food and clothing and prayer. And maybe her first visit to our church will be at Compassion Online. And then she could type into that chat and some volunteer will, will respond to her and pray for her and love on her. And, and friends, our God will be working through every one of those folks because they have chosen to serve with the gift that they receive from the Holy Spirit and their service will be blessing your sister. And ironically, Jesus says that every one of those servants will feel blessed because they did serve. And so will you. So will you. So friends, if you want to follow the example of Jesus and you want to experience the blessing that he promises, you need to activate your spiritual gift. You need to put it into play. Look back at Romans chapter 12, verse 6. This passage tells us that God has given every Christian a special gift. Look at verse 6. We have, doesn't say might have, could have, ought to have, doesn't say that. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us, which means that if you have experienced the grace of God, part of that grace is giving you a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit that makes you really good at something that really is important. And then he starts listing spiritual gifts that were operational in the church in Rome, and that church is exactly like Compassion Christian. He says if a man's gift is prophecy, he should use it in accordance to his faith. You know what that gift is? That's a truth-telling gift. That's truth-telling. The ability to de deliver hard, important truth in ways that people can understand. Man, if your gift is serving, let them serve. Man, servants are people that just love to work with their hands. It just lights them up. If teaching is your gift, let them teach. That's a clarity gift. Man, don't you thank God for people who can explain what the Bible says in ways that make sense so that you'll know what to do? If your gift is encouraging, dude, encourage. This is a motivational gift. I mean, serve people by building them up and pumping them up and getting them moving. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Listen, the gift of giving is a provisional gift. Man, there are people in every church that see the value of giving way more generously than God would ever expect, and they love to because they see the difference it makes. And let me tell you, the guy that bought that land in Zimbabwe was a compassionate Christian who had that gift. If your gift is leadership, let him govern diligently. Man, this is a directional gift. Man, the ability to coalesce a team and take on a task. There's the hill. Here we go. Follow me. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. That's a compassion gift. Man, these are the people who come to your house when somebody dies in your family. They bring lasagna over. They pray for you. They call you. They text you. They, they reach out to you. They're, they're here to pray with you at church. It's a compassion gift. Now, friends, you have one of those gifts I just mentioned. You may have two or three or four, but everybody who is a follower of Jesus under the sound of my voice has a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a special capacity that God gives to every believer something that you will enjoy using that will advance his purposes in the world. And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, growth track. That's your next stop. You need to go to growth track. We'll help you figure it out. Because friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a gift that will empower a ministry that God will work through to bless the world through you. This is why Peter says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So if you're saying, Cam, you got me, bro. You got me. I want to follow the example of Jesus. I want Jesus to bless me. How do I get started? 
Let me give you three steps you can take to discovering and then developing your spiritual gift. Number one, examine your gifts. Identify what your gifts are. Hey, just ask yourself, what do I do that gives me the most joy and produces the most fruit? What, what do I do for the Lord that gives me the most joy and produces the most fruit? Think back about your life. Listen, if you've been leading stuff since you were in elementary school, it's probably because you have the gift of leadership. But if you come to Growth Track, we'll give you a spiritual gift survey, kind of a test, and you may be surprised to realize that God has given you spiritual gifts that don't align at all with your natural talents. And just knowing what the gifts are are going to alert you to maybe something God has already put in your life that you've been using without even knowing it. Here's step number two, experiment with ministry. Just try a lot of different ways to serve. You probably won't figure out what your spiritual gift is by taking a test. You'll figure that out by taking a test drive. So just volunteer, volunteer. And listen, some of the ministries you volunteer for, uh, some will connect and some will not. Some will be fun, some will not. Some will be fruitful, some will not. Just try them. Try. If it's not fun and it's not fruitful, try something else. That's all right. But not serving is not all right for anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus. And let me just say this too. There will be a lot of times as part of our church family when you will serve and it will not be your gift and it will not be fun. It just needs to be done. Friends, Jesus did not have the gift of foot washing. He did not have that gift, but it was a need and he saw it and he stepped up. And friends, let me just tell you this. That's why you love this church. <laughs> that's why you love this church. Because so many of us have that attitude. Lord, where, where do you need strength? Where do you need a servant? I'm in. I don't care what my spiritual gift is. I don't even care what I like to do. Lord, if there's a need, I am your servant. I will serve because Jesus did. I'll do whatever stops the bleeding if that's what makes the biggest difference. And then finally, friends, I want to encourage you to exercise your gift. Man, Paul told Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you, bro. And so let me just be straight up with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, we expect you to honor your Lord and we want you to be blessed. And that's why the minimum expectation of every compassion Christian, whether you online or in person, is one hour of worship, one hour of study, one hour of service every week. That's the growth plan right there. If you're, and let me just say this too. If you're a Christian, <laughs> And you're thinking, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. I ain't going to serve. You can't make me, preacher. Let me just say, if you're thinking, look, I ain't serving. I just want to come watch the show, underline a few verses in my Bible, drop a few bucks in the offering to make myself feel good, and go home. If that's you, can I just say, this may be the wrong church for you. This may be the wrong church for you. Now listen, I'm not talking about some newcomer, you know, who's still checking things out, trying to figure out if we're real or not, or some, you know, person who's exploring our faith, you're not even a Christian yet, we wouldn't expect you to serve, you're still checking things out. And I hope you know that I love you, and I'm not trying to run anybody off, but man, we can't afford to have too many entitled, lukewarm Christians lurking around here who are all about consuming rather than contributing to the cause of Christ. Man, we're trying to, uh, yeah. We're trying to create a community of Christ followers who, just like their Lord, 
love little people and lost people and serve Jesus more every stinking day. And let me just say, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but you refuse to serve, you don't look like Jesus at all. Matter of fact, you look like the opposite of Jesus. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, okay, Cam, <laughs> easy, big fella. <laughs> Calm down, son. You got me. You got me. I've been a little COVID drunk, but I'm sober now. I get it. I'm in. Tell me where to get started. Growth track. Growth track. If you're brand new, man, growth track. Even if you're online, we offer growth track online, man, get in. Uh, if you are a Christian who's kind of slacked off and you're ready to tighten back up, go to Connecting Point. You can go to Connecting Point. Listen, you can do an online Connect card at our online ministry. We'll help you get locked in. Or you can go to our app, you know, and just click on a local encounter. And man, they'll show you all kind of ministry opportunities where you can start making a difference in people's lives today. Listen, if you're on the chat right now and you have to type in, I live in Singapore, how can I serve? We will get you in the game. Now friends, Easter is about a month out. And I think because of the pent up hopelessness from all the, ins the isolation our country has experienced, I believe Easter is going to be an amazing kingdom opportunity. But right now, our volunteer team is down 75%. And if you're one of those folks who thinks, Jesus don't need me, please don't put those words in his mouth. You hear and act on what he actually said. What he actually said is, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them if you obey. Friends, I wouldn't let anybody rob me of the blessing that comes from serving like Jesus did. This don't make sense to me. Hey, you remember this picture that Harrison threw up here last week? If you were with us, this little uh, Sudanese girl who's starving to death and a vulture just waiting on her to starve to death. The guy that took this picture won a Pulitzer Prize for this and then killed himself 60 days later because of the shame he felt because he left this little girl to die and did not lift a finger. You, on the other hand, you serve as part of a church that God is using to turn mourning into dancing. Amen? Amen. To turn graveyards into gardens, to turn shame into glory. And he is the only one who can. And he does it through people who serve. So the more you follow the example of Jesus, the more you will serve like Jesus and the more your life will be blessed. Father, thank you. This is not an easy word, Lord. It wasn't an easy word for the 12 disciples who were so embarrassed that they, they were just passively sitting there until Jesus got up to do what needed to be done. And it's not an easy word in our culture either, Lord, because so many of us, you know, have just got COVID drunk. Uh, we, we just forgot, you know, what you've called us to do. But Lord, your word has reminded us today. And I pray, God, that we would just, we, we would be overwhelmed with compassion Christians who are calling to say, where can, I, where can I serve? Where can I play? What can I do to advance the purposes of Jesus when the world needs us the most? Father, bless us, Lord, as we say yes, yes, yes and receive the blessing that comes to those who do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.